Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Young Adults Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Luke. And today we're talking about a brand new sermon series we started at Young Adults called Up at Night. Mm -hmm. So Pastor Luke, would you like to tell us like what the inspiration was behind the Up at Night series? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that for all of us, we struggle with huge questions. I mean, a lot of these big questions about uh, reality and God and Christianity, I mean, they've been around for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was an opportunity to dive in deep in a time where we have a lot of time to think. We have a lot of time to research and and kind of dive into that area of life. So I just, I wanted to ask those questions and I wanted to come at them from a biblical and philosophical and scientific kind of uh, angle because I wanted to equip our community with some of the answers and not so much answers, but responses. Uh, and then also put resources in their hands to hopefully, you know, I had great conversations last night with with some young adults uh, who wanted to know more and where they could read more. So really that was my, I guess, hope behind it. But the questions up at night, I mean, you and I came up with that title uh, for the series. And I just, I love that because it is so true. Some of these questions, they they keep us up at night. They yeah. they really bother us. It's a big problem, some of these bigger issues. So that was really the heart behind it. Yeah, totally. And that spiral, that weird spiral feeling, I think really fed into it. If that Allison created the most amazing graphics with like yeah. the boogeyman look in it. And mm -hmm. it was like that eerie feeling you get when you're like laid up at night and you're like, is God even real? And you're like going through that spiral. I, I have talked like you to many young adults after last night's service. And they were like, this is so timely in my life. I've literally been up at night questioning all these things and I don't know what to do with it. And I think with so much time because of the lovely pandemic, we yeah. are, we're going to be here for a while and in this like stewing time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like the next eight weeks, we've got like, we had suffering and evil, which we're talking about today yeah. and miracles is coming up next week. Mm -hmm. Do all religions equal Jesus? Is that? Yeah, well, do, th that idea that, you know, shouldn't yeah. all religions just lead us to the same God, yeah. uh, you know, the issue of hell. We're going to be talking about, like, the, you know, kind of in response to that other question, is Jesus really the only way? And some other ones, too. I, I'm, so I'm excited about it. Yeah. They're, they're all heavy hitters. Like, they're, they're big. I mean, it's funny. Like, the, the same, when you write sermons, there's, you know, kind of that allusion back to, or the, I guess, recall back to, when people used to make movies with the actual reels, oh, yeah. like the actual <laughs> film strips, and they would literally, they would have so much and they would cut and like glue the strips together or tape them together. And that's oh. how you made movies back in the day. There wasn't out, there wasn't takes like we have now. And so the saying goes, you know, there's the cutting room floor has way more takes than what is actually produced. And that's really the case with these sermons is there's so much that we could say. There's so yeah. many avenues we could go down, but you know, we have 20, 25, 30 minutes to go through this stuff. So how do we, how do we do it? Well, kind of cut to the point. Yeah. That's amazing. We asked the adult community to give us questions last night mm -hmm. after the sermon. And one of the questions that came up was why does God just not give us an irrefutable sign of his existence? Mm -hmm. That is that, I mean, that question has been asked a lot and I can, and I've asked it myself, you know, yeah. why doesn't God just give one big, huge miracle so that everyone can just know for sure. 
So there's, I mean, there's a couple of ways to look at this. Uh, I think one of the obvious ones is that we believe that he already has. The Bible is filled with miracles and wonders and signs. And so people for a long time ago, they had those experiences. But what we see in Scripture is that no matter how big the sign, there's still falters in faith. I mean, think about the Israelites, I mean, coming out of Egypt and then, you know, getting to the Red Sea and the Red Sea parting and mm-hmm. like all of the incredible miracles, the pillar of, you know, cloud by day and fire by night and all of these miracles that still, I mean, when the Israelites got to the promised land, what do they do? They're scared to go in because they don't, yeah. they don't trust. Um, you know, we, we see stories like God showing up with Job. We talked about that a little bit last night, Moses, uh, getting face-to-face kind of with God, you know, in the mountains. And mm-hmm. and then, I mean, the crowning glory of all of it is Jesus. I mean, <laughs> Jesus came to walk the earth with us. I mean, 12 disciples, well, 11, I guess, but, you know, plus the ones that replaced, or the one that replaced Judas, you know, they all went to their grave so convinced of who Jesus was. I mean, there are plenty of... Uh, people that have tried to make movements that it's died out. And I mean, even last night, I mean, I was reading in Acts uh, 7. And still reading plan? Yeah. Plug uh, there for you. Well, absolutely. <laughs> if you want to read through the New Testament with us. Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, the, the, the leaders of the law or whatever are trying to crush Jesus and they're, and they're trying to, or sorry, not Jesus, <laughs> the disciples specifically Stephen. And they're, they're trying to, you know, these followers of Jesus, they're saying like, we can't have this anymore. Like we got to crush this. And, you know, somebody steps up and says, if this is by man, it will fail. And if it's by God, why would you want to stand in the way of God? And, you know, so anyways, it's, it's, we've had big miracles happen in the past. So there's that, but that's not a great answer because we personalize it. We go, why doesn't God just show himself to me yeah. in a mighty way that is irrefutable? Um, and I, I was rem- uh, like reminded of this quote uh, from Philip Yancey where he says, God's terrible insistence on human freedom is so absolute that he granted us the power to live as though he did not exist, to spit in his face and to crucify, to crucify him. And, uh, you know, Yancey in this passage of his book is trying to convey that that if God were to give an irrefutable sign to show up in the most grand way ever, he would remove human freedom. And that's one of the things about humanity that God clearly cares about all throughout scripture. Yeah. I mean, we are given the freedom to choose. And so if God shows up and completely takes away any question, then we're he's no longer allowing us to have that free will. And I think a lot of people, when they hear that, they go, okay, well, that's fine. But like, if God wants everyone to be in heaven, why doesn't he just, you know, do that to everybody? Well, it reminds me of like the idea of power. I mean, power can produce obedience, but it doesn't always produce love. And that's, that's a, that's one of the big, I think, differences is that God isn't interested in obedient followers that are robotic. Yeah. And if God showed his full glory, I mean, I referenced Moses in the mountains. I mean, Moses sees God, but it's like the back of God, the side of God, because it's too much for him. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- I think that that's, uh, 
the reality of God's power is that if he showed up, you know, like, I mean, look at Jesus. I mean, there was lots of times where Jesus uh, in the scriptures held back. He didn't produce, didn't perform miracles. There's times where he actually like kind of sneaks away from the crowd and wants mm-hmm. to get away from them. Because for Jesus, it wasn't about proving irrefutably that he was God. I mean, he could have done that very easily. Um, it was that he wanted to produce followers that loved him. I mean, it's no different than, uh, I mean, like dictatorships around the world. I mean, we yeah. look at some places that are ruled by an iron fist and yes, power produces obedience. I mean, all of those people fully recognize that that is their leader and, and that they are under that person's control, but how much love is there? And I think that that's what God is looking for is he, he wants a relationship with us. And part of that relationship is giving us the complete and utter freedom that we desire to choose him or to not choose him. And I mean, we're going to talk about that when we get to the hell uh, sermon in this series and unpack that a little bit. But but that that really, I, th- I think that that's really the basis. I mean, there's a lot more of that discussion. Yeah, that just blew my mind because I did. I was somebody who had like a radical encounter with God mm-hmm. and it it didn't produce love. It produced the knowing that God is who God said he was totally. to me. But developing that love for Jesus came Mm. much after that experience for me. So Mm. that just, that whole dynamic of like power and love just absolutely blew my mind right now. (laughs) Like, I'm like, Oh man, that makes so much more sense to me. Why I didn't immediately fall in love with Jesus in that moment. It was like this, like reverence for like, Mm. I know now the power of God in my life. And then I had to go on and learn to live in that, knowing that power, but now in the love and the way of Jesus. Yeah. And you, and you need both. Yeah. But Jesus is much more. Yeah. Wants you to love him. And well, and I think, I mean, there is, I mean, there's with uh, throughout scripture, there is this call to fear God and and there there should be, there should be a reverence for an almighty God. Yeah. Um, But there's also this dynamic of love and that love and, and I don't mean love in the sense of, and we talked about this even last night a little bit in, in the sermon and the discussion, is that love doesn't mean that we stop all bad things from happening. Love isn't all gushy and warm and, <laughs> and like love is sometimes harsh. Love is sometimes yeah. corrective. You know, love is all of these things together. I mean, you look at the complexity of love just between people or, uh, you know, whether it's romantic or whether it's parental or whether it's collegial or friend or whatever, you have love in all these different arenas of life mm-hmm. and they manifest differently. Yeah. But, and so absolutely reverence and obedience is part of that love. I mean, I can't love my wife if I'm not like subservient to her and like, you know, do those things. I can't, but on the, on the same side, I can't just fear her. Right. Like, <laughs> And I don't. That was such a weird word to use for Morgan, subservient. <laughs> well, I mean... She's the sweetest human being. Like, I would never think of her as addicted. <laughs> oh, she's not. She's not at all. Uh, I just mean that, you know, if if all I had for her was reverence, yeah. I, it would lose some of it, right? It and, would. I, and I think that's it with God. I mean, if God wanted just purely reverent creatures, yeah. free will wouldn't have been part of the equation. Cause yeah. Yeah. Why would he have let us choose anything but him? Yeah. But he does let us choose things that aren't him. And that comes from a place of complete and utter, um, you know, steadfastness to the desire to give his creation free will. Yeah. 
in the sermon, you talked about um, God being all knowing, all powerful and all loving. All good. All good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, like for like Pastor Luke, if you took away the pastor, Mm -hmm. Luke, what pill was the hardest for you to swallow in your life? I think that's a great question. I think, I think the all good portion of it. Yeah. I mean, I think, that, truthfully, it's it's easier for our mortal minds to comprehend that if God is the God of the universe, He has to be all powerful. I mean, yeah. I mean, the the longer we look into space, the bigger it gets, and the more <laughs> we realize just how majestic and powerful this God must be. Uh, and then you know, the all knowing. The, I guess the all-knowing would be one that I, I've struggled with in the past as well, and probably still today, is, you know, how can God be outside of time? How can God know everything but still give us free will? And there's that um, that dance between, you know, Calvinism and Arminianism and, like, whether we have freedom or whether it's all just ordained and it, every day of our lives is God already knows, so it's just going to play out that way. Um, so that one's a really tough one, um, but the all good one is 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 a question that I think we all wrestle with because we do see evil and suffering in the world, yeah, and we want to fix that and we want to change that because it doesn't feel good, yeah. Um, but I think two points that we talked about in the sermon last night was one, this idea that we view evil and suffering from a very personal perspective. Yeah, And we also view it from a very outsider perspective. We tend to look at other people and we think that their evil and suffering is terrible. And if God really loved them, he wouldn't make that happen to them. Mm-hmm. But we see over and over again that people that endure evil and suffering, actually, if like if they pursue God in that, they're made stronger and better when they come out the other side. I mean, I, I can think of times in my life where I probably was going through a time of suffering where outsiders were thinking, wow, that was terrible. And truthfully, it wasn't fun while I was in, in it, but yeah. it's made me a better man. It's made me a better husband and pastor and follower of Christ, all of those things. So we have to admit, I think, that God can tolerate some evil and suffering and whatever some means because he knows that ultimately it will be better in the long run. Now, my human perspective is is limited. I mean, how yeah. can we? How can I understand that? I, I don't think I can. I mean, I can bring it down to a human perspective with that idea that you know, you know, as a as a father, as a friend, as a boss, as a whatever. There are times where we have to let the people that we love learn a lesson. And it's, yeah, I don't know. We just, we, that's, that's where I fall on that. Okay. This is a personal question now. How do you as a person then handle the fact that life is both beautiful and brutal? Like, how do you sit with that? Like if you, if you really, to the core of your being, believe that God is all good, how do you go about your life and go like, I'm holding two tensions that God is this great thing who created beautiful things and is also somewhat allowing mm-hmm. um, uncomfortable situations to happen or sometimes brutal situations to happen. And we're, and we have to sit in it knowing that God is yeah. like God of all. How do you as a person like handle those feelings? Like, what do you do? How do you like, mm-hmm. how do you manage that? 
Well, I, I think that first we need to recognize that that is true of everything in the world. Yeah. And removing a loving God from the equation doesn't make it any easier. Yeah. It, in fact, it makes it way harder, more difficult. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, because it, I mean, that's one of the things I talked about last night was this idea that, you know, suffering and evil actually can be an argument for God. Yeah. But like on a personal level, I mean, how do I deal with that? I mean, I think that, that strong, uh, health, mental health, physical, personal, whatever health is this ability to hold competing truths in tension. So to be able to take two things that we know to be true at the same time and hold them in tension. I mean, things like we talked about Corrie ten Boom, you know, helping Jews uh, during the mm-hmm. Nazi Germany in World War II. And I mean, we have to, we have to wrestle with the idea that it was good that she helped people, but it was also, she was lying. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's that classic ethics debate, right? And so you have to come, you have to hold these things and it's true of everything. I mean, it's true. I mean, people talk all the time about a balance of life, you know, you know, I want to have a work life balance. That's really good. Well, I, you know, we've talked about it before, but I don't really believe in balance necessarily because I think if we strive for a perfect balance of everything all of the time, we're, we're never really going to get it. And mm-hmm. so we're going to, we're going to fight, um, we're going to fight ourselves forever. And it's only until we wrestle with that idea that things are in tension, that, that two things can be happening at the same time, you know, and then realize our limits. We can't be stretched beyond, you know, what we can handle. But when it, so I think that life is just full of competing truth, competing tension, and it's just difficult. I mean, it's one of the biggest issues with our, and, and I, I'm not going to get political because I'm not going to fall on either side, but this idea of bipartisanship, you know, you have conservatives and liberals, you have left and right. And when we do that and we, we neglect that there's, there's truth in the middle and that there's health in the middle, uh, we get these ex- more radical approaches to these different mm-hmm. ideologies, and then you have more pain and suffering. So it's the ability to, to hold these things. So when I, when I, personally, when I look at God, I mean, there are things that I just don't understand. And there's things that I'm just not going to understand on this side of the garden. Like, it, it, I just can't. Yeah. Um, and so, like, being okay with that while also not being okay with just settling for what I know now, but using that to, like, drive me deeper and, and further into my understanding of God and my mm-hmm. servant, my service to God. So it's... I, th- I think often, you know, people are really looking for a silver bullet. They're looking for like, this is the answer. And when, yeah. you know, when we say we can't give that, you know, people sometimes get disappointed. I know I've been disappointed in the past, but the reality is, is the alternative is not better. I mean, to just throw it all away and say that there is, there, therefore God cannot be loving. He cannot, you know, or if you go further to even say there is no God, yeah. that is a cheap cheap answer because you still have all of these things to deal with. You still have the meaning of life. You still have the problem of evil and suffering, whether there is a God or not. Um, you know, so all of these things. And so when you, when I look at the world through the lens of that, I think that we come up way shorter on answers than when we look at it as if there is a loving God, which I believe that there is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when you're managing this tension, you're going through this tension. So yeah. 
I, I think I have a wish for my own life that nothing that happens makes me more bitter. I've seen people handle hard things and they go down like a very bitter, dark, yeah. and they stay there sometimes till the day they die. Mm -hmm. And I have a prayer for my life that as I go through hard things that I become sweeter and kinder and more compassionate and more loving and ability to hold hard things. And so mm -hmm. in your sermon, you started talking about like your friend who like wants you to be there with them and wants you to just be present in pain. Yeah. And I know that's my wish for my life is that I can be present in people's pain. And so how did you arrive at that like place for yourself? Like I'm, I'm here to become kind and more considerate and more like, was there a situation in your life that happened and it just like flipped a switch for you? I think it was a, a, probably a culmination of a lot of things. One of, and I've, and I've shared about it before in, in previous sermons, if you've been coming to YA for a while, but, yeah. uh, you know, one of the biggest moments was when my dad died. Uh, you know, I was 19 and he died of cancer. And I remember we got the phone call at like 3.30 in the morning that he had died. And the doctor said like, you don't have to come in now, come in, you know, a few hours and we'll, so we went in first thing in the morning and I remember my mom and my sister just, they said like, we can't go into the room. Like you need to deal with it. So I, I got a, a peach box, a BC peach box, shout out to BC peaches. <laughs> They're the best. <laughs> they are. Uh, you know, and I remember I was, I walked into the room and on his bed, the nurses had put his slippers and his hat and his things out. And so mm -hmm. I went in and I was collecting his stuff. And it was one of those moments where I, I felt, like I felt the voice of God speak to me and say, Luke, you can either choose to become bitter, but if you choose that, then your dad will have died for nothing. And I don't think it was this, this idea that my dad died so that I could get better. I don't think that's yeah. what it was, but I think it was just this acknowledgement that, that if I allow this to just make me better, then, then it's just all for not like it's, it's just meaningless. Yeah. But if I can take this pain and this suffering and I can make it, I can make meaning out of it then, then I can grow and I can impact change. Um, and so for me, that, that was a really pivotal moment. There's been others for sure, but I don't think that really we can manufacture that desire to, to grow and to become more like Christ. I think that we need to approach it with this sense of, uh, awareness that we fall short, this, this need, this desire. I mean, you know, when my kids come to me and they, they're really struggling with something and they're like, daddy, can you please help me? Like that to like, th they're going to accept my help. Now, when they're doing something and they don't want my help and I try to help them, they get very sassy. And <laughs> Do they? <laughs> surprisingly. I know. Um, so that, you know, <laughs> The, rea the reality in those moments is, is, I mean, that's kind of mirrored with our relationship with God. You know, when, when we ask him for help, when we go to him, there's, you know, I think that if God is love, which scripture teaches us that he is, then he wants love as well. And, and that's, that's why we talked earlier about this tension between power and obedience and power and love, uh, or sorry, in love and obedience. I think that when we desire God, when we want Him, when we when we go to Him with a contrite spirit, you know, we 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 desire those things. 
he's going to respond and he's going to give us the strength and he's going to to give us i mean it, it talks in isaiah about the reality that god you know gives us strength for our our next breath like you know, I remember reading that when I was younger and going, God, why don't you just give me strength for the whole battle? Like, just give me all the strength <laughs> I need for the rest of my life. And then I'll just, when the, the strength runs out, I, I die. Like, <laughs> that would be great. But that's not what he says. He says, you know, I will, I will give you strength for your next breath. And there's this imagery there of, you know, every breath we take, it, it's, it's supplied by the Father. And so there's this continued reminder that we need him. So if we start to develop that in ourselves and see where we fall short, but understand that we are uh, made free by Christ, then I think we'll grow. And and then, then you be, you know, it doesn't always answer all the questions, but it gives you the strength to deal with the unknown or that, the time in limbo between, you know, Mm -hmm. I talked last night about, you know, when I started seeking answers like it wasn't a straight shot from questions to like full comprehension of god yeah um you know it's a process and it's a process like anything else and and if you know and i think too like people beat themselves up right they, they think like oh man i don't trust god fully or like i have questions i'm a bad christian like oh my no way like the bible is filled with people asking questions of god yeah i mean we touched on job last night i mean job I mean, the whole latter half of the book is Job talking, God talking, Job talking, God talking. And like Job is just asking question after question after question and lamenting and being like, you know, whatever. But also, you know, saying, God, you are powerful. You are almighty. You are the sovereign one. You, you know, all of these things. And so all of these people in scripture, I mean, look at the disciples. They walked with Jesus and they still had questions. I mean, God was, you could touch him. Like he was there. And so... What would make us think that we're we're not going to ask questions? So feeling guilty about asking questions is is not a good idea, but but asking questions from a place of true desire to know God and to know His ways more, um, that produces results that we can carry with us the rest of our days. Yeah, and sometimes there's that step further of seeking out mm-hmm. that answer or seeking out a process of how to answer or a way to think about it. I think there have been times in my life where I've sat in deep questions way longer than I had to because I wasn't willing to go Mm. and then do the seeking on it and or put myself in situations where naturally I would get like some confirmation or some like edification from the body of Christ or like anything like that. I, if you, if you sit alone, yeah, you're going to feel more alone in a year, you know, (laughs) with your questions. So coming out to things like YA or coming out um, or finding a group of people, join a community group, whatever you got to do, right? Like being with people who are asking similar questions or maybe have gone through different things Mm -hmm. than you. Like, I think that that's very helpful. And reading your Bible, Vista reading plan. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I mean, we talked about it a few episodes ago, but that idea of mentorship, like surrounding yourself with people that are further along than you, that's also really important. Um, Because, you know, you can learn a lot from your, your peers, but ultimately it's, it's hard to lead people further than you're at. Um, It's not impossible, but it's, it's definitely, definitely more difficult. Um, So... Continuing on with some of the questions that we got from YA last night, we've got so many questions that we had to like pare down quite a few. For sure. And one of the other questions that we got is, 
why does God not make earth like heaven? Like, what a great question. Why does God not yeah, make earth like heaven? I love this. And, <laughs> and you know, when I was writing my sermon, I thought oh, I should, I should probably bring this up. But then I was like, you know, already at 4,000 words. So I was like, <laughs> I should probably not do that. I want to let these people have a life outside of young adults. So I'm not oh, preaching okay. all night long. That's so nice of you. Thank you. But I love that question. Cause I mean, that, that is a great question. So last night we outlined this idea that God cannot take away evil and suffering Yeah. because he's given us free will and free will allows us to choose something that's not him. So anything that's not God is unholy. Mm-hmm. So like anything, you know, so God allows that to happen. So the question is, is, well, heaven is supposed to be perfect, right? Heaven is without sin. Mm-hmm. So how can heaven be without sin where we're with God, but earth has to have sin and evil and suffering and all of these things? What a great question. Um, and I want to go back to the point I made with the first question is this idea that God refuses to override our free will. He refuses to. So like on this earth, while we have a choice, God refuses to take that choice away from us. And because we have the choice to choose evil and suffering, we will continue to choose it as a people. And like I said last night, it would stand to reason if evolution is just making everything better and that, it, and that if that's the direction we're going, you know, Richard Dawkins, Dawkins talks about at a point in the future, science will explain everything and we'll be without question. But then there's this utopian speech that goes along with it that once we understand everything, then we'll make everything perfect and there won't be any evil and suffering. There won't be any sickness and pain because we'll be able to do this. I mean, I think that's foolish thinking. I mm-hmm. think that if we, we look, you know, back a thousand years ago, or if we look at 500 years ago, or like I said, we look at the last 100 years alone, we have plenty of evil and suffering. In fact, there are parts of the world right now where we still are seeing horrific suffering and evil. I mean, right now in Lebanon, uh, there are more Syrian kids in schools in Lebanon than Lebanese children. So many Syrians have fled the country of Syria because of the oppression and all of the bad things happening there. So like we see that evil and suffering hasn't gone away. Yeah. So that line of thinking that once we just understand everything, it'll be perfect is I don't, I, I just don't buy it. And, and there are a lot of people that agree with, with that. Um, so this reality that, that heaven is going to be without sin, why can't earth be that way? Well, I think part of it is that heaven will be filled with people that have chosen God. Um, and so once we've made that choice and once we've departed from this earth, there's this reality that when we're in the presence of God all together, we've chosen that reality. Therefore, we have chosen God. At that point, free will isn't a question anymore because we've surpassed this earthly realm. And the, the question of whether we can choose sin or not is, is now moot because we're in the presence of God. And the reason why that's significant is because in the presence of God, he burns off all things that are unholy. Ooh. And and that is that is really important. And we see it like for the unprepared sinner to encounter the full presence of God would be a horrific experience. If we were to stand in the full presence of God completely bare, like it would be it would be utter suffering in the sense of we would see all of the ways that we fall short. In in light of the holiness of God, we are so so broken. And that's why Jesus came. Mm-hmm. So when we think about heaven, we think of two things. One, they are people that have chosen him. And then once they enter into that relationship, all unholiness is gone. We can't have that on earth. 
And it also ties back to the first question, because if God showed up on earth irrefutably, he would remove that choice and, and we would either have to choose him out of fear and obedience, or we would refuse him out of complete ignorance. And I mean, those things are not, that's not, that's not a win for, yeah. for anybody. So, um, I mean, for a 20, 30 minute podcast, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard, you know, I want to go deeper and stuff, but I, I think that those are, those are some really solid responses that I've, I've read and researched over, uh, you know, my years as a pastor. That's amazing. I, the, the series, the, the, the kickoff of the series just blew my mind. It was like 26 minutes. You can go watch it on YouTube if you want. And I watched you research for this thing. And it was like sitting in a condensed three-hour theology class. <laughs> I watched it three times, and I got something out of it every single time. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. That's yeah. Ki- that's kind of you. I, we had uh, our worship leader, Nathan, came up to me last night, and he's like, Pastor, that... F- feels like uh, I just sat through a philosophy lecture yes! and I was like, <laughs> I get it. And, and, and part of it, I wanted to touch on this too. Part of the reason why uh, we're having this discussion from this angle is that I don't want to just point to the Bible to answer these big questions. Because to me, if God is who he says he is, then we should be able to rationalize his existence. We should be able to rationalize and logically come to a conclusion that he is who he says he is without the use of the Bible. Now, I think that the Bible is incredibly... Like, I think the Bible is totally true in everything it teaches. I think that it's the, the Word of God spoken. Um, I think that because the Bible tells us things, that is enough reason to believe it, partly because the Bible in and of itself is an incredible... Uh, text. It's lasted far longer than anything else. It was widely circulated in a time where persecution existed. I mean, people truly believed in who this Jesus character was. People truly believed in who the God of Israel was because they continually put their lives at stake for it. Why? Why would they do that? I mean, we're reading through Acts right now in the Vista Bible reading plan. Read Acts. Like, why? Like, they have no benefit. Their benefit would be to shut up and just ride it out. Like just be yeah. comfortable. Let's not talk about it. Let's not ruffle any Let's feathers. not go to jail. <laughs> Let's not go to jail. Let's not be stoned. Like, yeah. like being stoned people. I don't know. Like, like if you know what it's like, but my goodness to be, I mean, let me qualify. I don't know what it's like either, but, <laughs> but I mean like reading about it and reading accounts of it, like, I mean, literally they would throw rocks at you and I'm not talking pebbles. Like I'm talking stones at you. Until oh. you literally bled out and died. I mean, or your head was crushed. Like, it's a horrible way to die. And, you know, oh. or being boiled in oil or, you know, being hung on a cross upside down to prove a point. You know, all of these ways that disciples and followers of Jesus have died over the years. Why would they choose that if it Con- wasn't true? Conviction. Like if, if they, yeah, if they were not truly convicted. I mean, so that's a huge reason. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot more reasons why, the, why I think the Bible, and, and maybe we should have a sermon series on why the Bible is worth believing in. But so I wanted to have these discussions with the Bible, but also with the, that philosophical, with that theo, like theology, the study of God, God, I mean, not just the God of the Bible, but how do we, how do we understand that in light of everything else? So they're big topics um, that, I, so I was excited when, he, when Nathan said that because um, I wanted to, I wanted to provide some responses from way smarter people than me 
on how we deal with these big questions that it is not just quoting scripture. Yeah. And so I think if you go back and watch the sermon, if you have questions, please send them to Pastor Luke. Yeah, for sure. And all that jazz. And I guess we could land it there. I think that's a good place so. to land. Because next week we're talking about miracles and I'm so excited yeah. to hear some stories from you about miracles. Oh, so <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm prepared, Pastor Luke. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thank you. I, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I'm looking forward to the rest of this series. And, you know, I was, I was telling Ashley here that I don't know if we should do the podcast the morning after Tuesday night because <laughs> I am tired this morning. So if anything that I've said is a little doesn't make a lot of sense. Just send us a message and I'll try to clarify. That's but uh, yeah, thank you so much everyone for listening. Make sure you subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel, follow us uh, anywhere that you get your podcasts Yeah, and let's keep having this conversation. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye.